Okay. Um, I think I said this at Friday Fire, but I love church plants. <laughs> um, makes sense. I've been on two so far. Um, probably more to come in the future. But, man, church plants are so exciting. Amen? I'm so excited for Julie. You know, she's my disciple. And, and just to be able to really send her out, it's, uh, yeah, just blesses my heart. Um, and I want us to remember, you know, as we're sending this church plant team out that it's not just about them going out, but this is also about you guys too. Because it's easy to kind of feel disconnected from them and kind of be like, oh, well, you know, they're going to go do their thing. Uh, We're going to, you know, pray some at Friday fire or Sunday swim and that's it. But this is about you guys as well. Um, And it's about you really carrying that vision and really birthing it out for them. And so I want you to remember, you know, we're doing this as a house. Amen. Okay. So I think everyone here knows me, so I don't think I need to introduce myself, but, um, yeah. Okay. For new Philly, uh, every year, you know, we have a theme and 2013 is the year of inspiration. Good. Okay. But to be completely honest, um, other three, other themes throughout the years have made more sense to me. Um, it's been easier for me to digest and really lay a hold of in my own life and to see it kind of uh, play out in my personal walk with the Lord. So, you know, in 2010, we had the year of epic faith and it was a year of epic struggles as well. Um, because, you know, epic faith requires epic struggles, right? So <laughs> it was a year where we had the 21 day fast as a leadership. And then we also had the Niagara Conference, which was a huge, well, not that huge, but a a conference that we uh, kind of planned out for um, the city of Seoul and for others who wanted to join. And we had the Itaewon Church Plan also in that year. So, you know, every year kind of the theme, it kind of made sense in my life. But this idea of inspiration has been a little more difficult for me to grasp and also to see how it works out in my life. Um, if you don't know, inspire literally means God breathe, right? And so when we say that scripture is the inspired word of God, what that means is that it's of divine origin. It means that the Holy Spirit was working in a unique and supernatural way through human authors to write the words that are on these pages. So these words would not be powerful. It would not be anointed without the Holy Spirit anointing it. Um, But when I thought of inspiration, a practical sense in my life, my mind kind of just drew a blank. And I was thinking, okay, maybe I need to be more creative. And to be honest, I'm not that creative. I am creative, but I'm not like a Roy, right? No, I'm kind of different. So my idea of being creative or trying to be creative was going out and buying color pencils. So I went out and I bought color pencils, but it wasn't really life-changing. Um... (laughs) I actually don't even know where it is now, but, um, yeah, you know, and so it kind of, this kind of continued to be my approach. Like maybe I need to do this. Maybe I need to write more. Um, so I was trying to fill my life with more creative projects and activities. And so we're almost done with the month of August, which means that we're three fourths of the way into the year of 2013. Not crazy. Yeah, I know. And, you know, I don't want us to walk away only with new activities and projects, although those are also a part of what God is doing in this season. But I feel like the Holy Spirit was really asking me, you know, what does it look like for your life to be inspired, to be God-breathed? What does it look like for you to start thinking outside of the box in a unique and supernatural way, 
not just about what you can do about your activities in life, but also about who you are and where God is taking you. And so how can we live inspirational lives um, and not just have moments of inspiration? And back a couple months ago, Pastor Caleb led a prayer topic about being inspired into our calling. You know, where it's not just about us performing duties and God gives us a list of do's, right? Okay, now, you know, this is the plan for the next 20 years of your life. Go do it. Now, God doesn't do that with us. But instead, he chooses to take us on a journey. And he chooses to not only give us moments of inspiration, but he uh, makes our whole entire life story an inspiration. And the way he does this is by drawing us into relationship with him. Uh, where we experience the supernatural and our lives start to exhibit God's glory. And in one of the retreat seminars, um, Pastor Joe O, who's a pastor from California, uh, he said that what makes a good story is the challenges that were faced by the person and also how how that person overcame those challenges. And the same way we are inspired by someone, not just by knowing about what they did, about their accomplishments, but or how or where they ended up, but how they got there. You know, it's the journey and not just the destination that is inspirational. And so today I kind of want to talk about not just about stewarding the vision, um, because we do need to steward the vision, right? When God gives you a vision for your life and he, you know, speaks prophetic words over you, he commands us to write it down, to make it plain and to uh, you know, it, it means like go back to it, pray through it. When someone speaks a prophetic word over you, don't just say, oh, that was nice, thank you, and then, you know, and then forget about it. But even the words that are, you know, words just of a simple encouragement are powerful because they speak about your identity. And so we do need to steward the vision um, that God gives us, but it's also about stewarding the journey. And, uh, Yeah, so not only must you believe, once again, the power of God and steward the promises of God, but I believe that there is a need for us to take ownership over the journey and to steward the in-between time, the time between when God speaks a word and when that word is actually fulfilled. And do not treat the journey with contempt, or as it says in the word, despise the day of small beginnings. And so today I want to talk about the journey because I feel like inspiration really happens in the journey. You know, it's not inspiration that happens in the destination necessarily but it's in the whole story that you know god starts to write a story of inspiration and so what i wanted us to do is to kind of look at the life of abraham and sarah so if you want to look with me uh, at genesis chapter 12 we're just going to go quickly through um just a portion of their life and you know the story of abraham and sarah is quite familiar to most of us Um, But I just want to give you a short timeline of your journey from when God first reveals his promises to them and when that promise is actually fulfilled, uh, kind of partially through the birth of Isaac. So Genesis chapter 12 is the call of Abraham. I'm not going to have us read any specific verse, but this was when Abraham was uh, 75 years old and Sarah was 65. They were 10 years apart. Okay, Um, And God commands Abraham to leave to leave his father's house, to leave the country that he's in, and to go to a place that he will show him. And along with the call to go, God also promises that he will be made into a great nation, that he will be blessed, that his name will be great. And not only will he be blessed, but through him, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's an amazing promise, isn't it? 
And this was not when Abraham was super rich or, you know, he became rich later after he went to Egypt and then, you know, told, that, told people that Sarah was like his sister. And then he came out with all these riches. But at this time, you know, he wasn't doing, you know, super, you know, super great or anything like that. But God was still promising him an amazing destiny. And the next time God comes to Abraham is in chapter uh, 15. And here God comes to Abraham and he says, you know, Abraham, I'm your shield. I'm your reward. Excuse me. I'm your shield and your reward shall be very great. But Abraham's like, well, God, like, I understand that. And I understand that you can give me much. But right now I don't even have an heir. Like there's, I don't have a son of my own. There's only the servant that I'm going to give my inheritance to. So what can you possibly give me? And then God promises Abraham that he's going to have a son, his own son. But in spite of these promises, 10 years later, Sarai remains barren. And can you imagine what it must have been like for Sarai to wait year after year for 10 years, to wait year after year for God's promises to be fulfilled? She's waiting for a sign, any sign that God's going to fulfill his word. And she's probably thinking, like, God, you know, getting old. Like, my biological clock is ticking. Like, you know, it's, it's, she was 75 by this time. And, but she remained barren. And so she takes matters into her own hands. And what does she do? She has Abraham sleep with her servant, Hagar, who gives birth to Ishmael. So this was when Abraham was 86 years old and Sarah was 76 11 years after God first released word of Abraham's mighty destiny. And although Ishmael was blessed by God, we know that he was not the promised child. So then the Bible records no incident of God coming to Abraham until chapter 17, which is 13 years after Ishmael's birth. So they waited another 13 years. Um, So Abraham is now 99 years old, 24 years after the initial promise. And in chapter 17, God reestablishes his covenant with Abraham, you know, commands him to be circumcised as well as the, uh, the, the men in the house. And he also changes Abraham's name to Abraham. And God says to him, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. Um, and not only this, but God also reveals Sarah's destiny that not only is Abraham the father of many nations, but Sarah is the mother of many nations. And uh, finally, in chapter 18, the Lord visits Abraham and Sarah again and tells them an exact time that Isaac's going to be born one year from that time, that point. So I don't know if you noticed, but God does not reveal everything to Abraham from the outset, although eventually he revealed his entire plan to Abraham. So when he first left for Canaan, all Abraham knew was, go. And he went. He didn't know anything other than that. He didn't even know where he was going, but he knew that God was going to bless him. He knew that he was going to bless the nations and that he just needed to go. And then from there, God also tells him, well, you're going to have an heir, but God didn't tell him that it was going to come through Sarah. And so we see that they took matters into their own hands and then gave birth to Ishmael. It was only until later that God revealed to Abraham that it was through Sarah that the promised child would come. And, you know, and then after that, God, at the end, of course, reveals when Isaac would be born. Um, God is not in a hurry to reveal his plans, but he is also a God who slowly but surely reveals his plans with 
increasing clarity and details, just like he did for Abraham and Sarah over a period of 24 years. You know, some of you, you don't know why you're here. Like, God, why am I in Korea? Have you ever asked yourself that question, especially if you're a foreigner? Like, why am I here? And why am I in New Philly? Now, I remember in Itaewon um, back, I can't remember, I think 2011 or so, um, there was a sister who came to Itaewon named Candace. And the first day that she came, it was her first time at Itaewon, at New Philly Itaewon, um, there was an altar call for 10-year commitments. So in New Philly, we have this thing called 10-year commitments, which is uh, we're basically committing to the vision of the house for the next 10 years of our lives because we really believe that God builds his house through living stones. And so there was a 10-year commitment altar call. And, you know, I was watching people come up, and I was watching them. I was like, who's that black girl? Because <laughs> I've never seen her in my life. And I was like, does she understand what she's doing? <laughs> you know? But, you know, it was her first day at New Philly, and she made a 10-year commitment. That's crazy, isn't it? Because God has already been speaking to her in her, you know, prayer closet. And so, you know, I still remember that. I heard that Pastor John Newfell was concerned when he heard that this girl named Candace had made a, you know, 10-year commitment on the first day. And he was like, does she understand English? <laughs> you know, he didn't know that she was American. So he was very concerned. But, you know, some of you, you don't know why you stepped into this house, why you made a 10-year commitment exactly. God didn't really, God hasn't really shown you the whole plan. But our part is to wait upon his timing and to trust in God's wisdom to reveal his plans slowly but surely at the Kairos moments, at the opportune time. So the first key to living a life of inspiration is simple. It's faith. Okay? It's to be okay with not seeing the full picture, to be okay with not having all the puzzle pieces together and not knowing exactly how everything is going to pan out in your life. Now, ask yourselves honestly, am I living by faith or by sight? Uh, because one of the commonest, commonest, I think that's a word, most common <laughs> complaints that I hear is, and I make, this I make this complaint too, is, God, nothing's changing. Like, everything's just kind of the same. I've been praying and asking you for things, but nothing's really changing. And God, you're not really showing me anything new either. You're not showing me where I'm headed. And I've harassed God many times in prayer. And like, God, tell me, like, now, you know? Like, why did I make a 10-year commitment to New Philly, God? Like, I'm going to be 40 by that time. <laughs> like, you got to tell me that this commitment that I made, it's, it makes sense to me now. And I, I just, you know, ask God all these questions, constantly, like, harass him until God rebuked me and then told me to stop, right? Um, <laughs> but it's because that there was this fear someplace in my heart that I could be somewhere, someplace, uh, doing something more profitable, more meaningful, and maybe be more successful. And the lie is that if I could just know where I will end up, then I will know that I'm on the right path in my present. And I will have more assurance and confidence in what I am doing now. And sure, you may have assurance and confidence if you know right now, but God wants your confidence to be rooted in faith in him in the person of Christ, and not just in knowledge of his plans. And when we know it's comforting, it is comforting, and because if we're honest with ourselves, it kind of eases our fears and our, and our anxieties. But more and more, I'm learning that walking with God is walking in faith. Our navigation system is not knowledge, but it's faith. Faith brings clarity in your life. 
And it's in God's wisdom and love that he reveals his plans progressively and not all at once. No, he cares more about you. We say this a lot, right? He cares more about you than he cares about what you can do for him. And he cares more about his relationship with you, how you relate to him, more than what you can accomplish even through him. Um, You know, knowing may be comforting, but it does not mature us in our faith and in our relationship with the Lord. It doesn't teach us how to be better followers of Christ, and it doesn't teach us how to trust the shepherd. It's in not knowing sometimes that we start to learn to walk by faith and not by sight, to be assured of things hoped for and convicted of things not seen. And the word of God says that the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And brothers and sisters, you are a righteous people. Do you believe that? Yeah, you're righteous people. You know, the word says that uh, Christ became, Jesus became unrighteousness, that you may become righteousness in him. And what that means is that when you're righteous, it doesn't mean that you can just stand before God in confidence and boldness, but it also means that you signed up to walk a life of faith and not by sight. And, you know, you are not to live as the world lives because the world lives with, uh, and the way that they live is not by faith, but it's by sight. And they chase after the lusts of their eyes, desiring what is visible, going after ambitions and fleshly desires. But God has called us firstly to faith, even above our holy ambitions and our callings. And in Romans chapter 14, 23, it says, whatever is not from faith is sin. Okay, if you ever wonder what sin is, it's anything that is not of faith. And this is a powerful definition because it basically opens up anything, even the most uh, well-meaning actions of yours. If it's not by faith, it's sin. And this shows that the root of sin is unbelief. It's a lack of faith, a lack of trust in God. And no matter how moral your acts are, no matter how holy your ambitions are, God is saying that if it's not rooted in faith, it's sin. And so, brothers and sisters, measure success in your life and the progress of your journey by the measure of your faith. You know, if you want to live an inspirational life, live a life of faith. And Hebrews chapter 11, there's a hall of faith, right? And it says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And it says of Sarah, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as innumerable, innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So, you know, my prayer is that all of us, that our lives will be counted as lives of faith. Um, can you turn to, turn to Genesis chapter 18 with me? Okay, Genesis chapter 18, it starts with three men who appear to Abraham as he's sitting at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Okay? And we know that these are not ordinary men, but... It was the Lord himself who was visiting Abraham. And so Abraham, you know, he runs to tell Sarah, you know, Sarah, go make some cakes. And he runs and tells his servant, okay, go prepare a calf. Calf? Yeah. To prepare a choice calf. And then he presents these men with some tender meat, curds, and milk. 
And after extending the hospitality to his guests, the Lord starts to speak to Abraham. And so we're going to start to read at verse 9. And if you guys can start reading from verse 9, and then I'll take the next, next verse and then so on. Okay, ready? One, two, three. The Lord, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was lis- listening at the tent door behind him. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you. About this time, next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Um, it's okay. Let's stop there. <laughs> That's, okay, sorry. I didn't tell you guys when to stop. I was about to just stop. <laughs> okay. Um, what's funny is that in the previous chapter, Abraham also laughed at God. You know, God was like, yeah, Sarah is going to be the one who buries your son. And he was like, ah. And he fell on his face, right? And he laughed. Um, and Abraham was like, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And maybe because Abraham laughed, God visited Abraham and Sarah in person. And he repeats the same promise in chapter 18 where we just read. And this time it's Sarah that laughs. You know, here she is. She's an old lady. She never had a fertile womb in the first place. And now she's 90 years old. And she definitely doesn't have a chance of bearing a child. And it says, the Bible says, the way of women has ceased to be with Sarah. So she's faced with this physical impossibility and a promise that's completely ridiculous. And all she could do was laugh. And I know, you know, sometimes I I read the story in the past and I was like, oh, Sarah, you know, you have so little faith. Um, But like, you know, because she did laugh at God, right? God gave her a personal visit, but all she did was laugh. Um, but let's be real. If someone came to me when I was 90 and told me that I was going to have a child, I think I would laugh too. I'd be like, ah, yeah, right. You know? And it's like, it's the laughter that's not like, wow, I'm so amazed and so joyful at this incredible promise of God. But it's like laughter that's just it, it, like, I don't know what you're saying. That's just so funny, you know? But the Lord, he actually doesn't rebuke Sarah. Although he does ask, why did Sarah laugh? It's almost like God seems to be a little confused, a little baffled at her response. Why does Sarah laugh, Abraham? You see, God doesn't understand unbelief. He doesn't understand our lack of faith. You know, what we consider laughable because it's so impossible that it's ridiculous, to God it is quite normal and it makes perfect sense. He's a supernatural God and as New Philly's core value says, supernatural is natural to him. So the Lord asks Abraham, why does Sarah laugh? You know, what's so ridiculous about having a child at age 90? It's not, you know, it's not funny. It's not, it's not weird. And, you know, we may find God's miraculous promises ridiculous, but God finds our unbelief more confusing. So the Lord says to Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord? You know, I am El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty. I am creator of heaven and earth. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. In me, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through me and for me. I am, I am. I define existence. 
is there anything too hard for the Lord? And so the second key to living lives of inspiration is to start to prophesy life over the place of your barrenness, understanding that there is nothing that is too hard for the Lord. So ask your neighbor that, is there anything too hard for the Lord? And I believe that, you know, for some of you, you may have faced, you, have, you may have faced a situation like Sarah, or you may be facing it now, where you've been barren for so long, not in any area of your life, but specifically in the area of greatest promise, in the place of your deepest desires and dreams, where God has whispered to you, this is the place of your blessing, this is your promised land, but all you see is a wilderness. There's no fruit, there's no signs that anything is changing. No, God told you, you're going to be an influential businessman. And, you know, you're going to be like the next Steve Jobs in Korea or something. But you're still teaching English. Or you're going to become a world-famous worship leader. But only New Philly really knows you. Okay? You're going to be, you know, you're going to lead evangelistic crusades and, you know, bring in the lost by the thousands. But you may or may not have led one or two people to Christ. And, you know, it's just, you don't see the fruit in the area that God has promised you. But you see, the very place where God says that, you know, you've been blessed, you almost feel like you've been cursed. And oftentimes when we see barrenness in an area of our life for a prolonged period of time, we come to adopt the belief that God's favor has been removed from that place, or maybe the enemy has somehow gotten upper hand over us. And so we decide to kind of lay, it as, lay that place aside and decide to fill ourselves with fruit that is more visible in our lives. But I believe that in this time, God's calling us back to the place of our barrenness. He's telling us to look at that place from where we've turned our eyes. And he's saying to you, this place is, is going to become the place of your greatest fruitfulness. The areas that you lost hope for, I'm going to start to breathe upon it. I'm going to start to inspire you in that place. And you're going to start to see a mighty harvest. Now, we're talking about inspiration this year. And it's about God breathing upon the dry bones of your life like he did in Ezekiel chapter 37, and bringing forth a mighty army, a mighty harvest. And when we look at the word, God's not afraid of barrenness. Barrenness is actually a sign and a mark that the promised birth was birthed through God's supernatural power rather than our own capabilities, through God's life-giving breath by his spirit and not our own power and might. You know, if God came to Abraham and Sarah and told them that Isaac would come through Sarah when they first set out for Canaan before, you know, 25 years had passed, I don't think Sarah would have laughed. Maybe it would have been more credible. But God brought Abraham and Sarah to a point where 25 years later, after receiving that promise, they saw no hope. They saw no chance of ever becoming fruitful, much less become a blessing to all nations. And today I feel like God is asking this to some of you here today. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too difficult for me? And some of you need to be reminded that what you think makes the least sense in terms of your circumstances makes the most sense to an all-powerful signs and wonders working God. The 25 years, it's not a mistake. You know, God didn't um, just have an accidental delay in his schedule. He didn't just, you know, play this cruel joke on Abraham and Sarah but it's a setup to reveal that what's birthed through you is from God and that he alone deserves the glory. Water.
is anything too hard for the Lord? Another way that the Bible translates the word hard is wonderful or marvelous. And so ask your neighbor, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? And when we use the word hard, you know, it calls into question God's ability and his power to execute what he has promised. Is bringing Isaac into the world within his power to perform? And the question becomes, can God do it? Can God breathe life into a 90-year-old woman's barren womb? Or is it beyond his ability? Can God bring reconciliation and salvation for my family? Can God heal me of this disease that's been plaguing my life for years? And many of us, we say yes and amen. We're like, yes, God, you can. You're an all-powerful God. You're Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, my healer. You are Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, my provider. You are Savior and Redeemer. You can save my family. But if we replace hard with wonderful, I feel like the essence of the question takes a different turn. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? And what is called into question is not just God's ability, but his goodness and his willingness to give from his abundant goodness. Will his goodness extend farther than an Ishmael and bring forth an Isaac? And Sarah laughed because of the miracle it would take for her to conceive a child at the age of 90. But I wonder if what she needed was not just reassurance of God's power, God's ability to open up her womb, but she also needed to be reassured of God's goodness. That even after 24 years of waiting, that he was still a good father, willing to give, desiring to bless her with the child. And when the wait becomes long, oftentimes for us, what's jeopardized is our view of God's goodness, of his character. And so the third lesson to living a life of inspiration is to have an unwavering trust in God's desire to bless from the overflow of his goodness. It's to trust in his goodness. And I think what stumps most people is not doubts about God's ability, about whether God can or cannot heal, can or cannot provide, can or cannot fulfill his promises. Most of us know that God's God. That means that there is nothing impossible for him. There's nothing that he cannot do, of course, within the limits of his character. So we have full confidence in his ability. But what stumps us are doubts that God could or would be so wonderful toward me. Now, we find it so easy to think about the worst case scenarios in our lives, right? All the things that could possibly go wrong. It's easy to think negative thoughts, like Kelly was saying um, at Friday Fire. But when you tell people, think of the craziest, most flabbergasting plan that God can possibly work out for you in your life. It takes a lot more effort, which is a little weird. (laughs) It's almost like our minds are geared towards negativity rather than positivity. Um, And I think, you know, the question really is, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Is there anything so good, so marvelous, so mind-blowingly amazing that surely God couldn't give that to me or wouldn't give that to me or would he you know let's just say that your dad is very wealthy you know he's a he's a rich man and he's able to buy you basically anything that you want and you really want a sports car and and you know there's a difference between knowing that he has the ability and the means to buy you that car and actually trusting and being confident that he desires to buy you that car, and we'll eventually do it. 
And, you know, we may not put limitations on God's power, but oftentimes we do limit his goodness toward us. It's difficult for many of us to grasp that God not only um, can, but he desires as a good father to give good gifts to us as his children. Uh, When he gives, we believe he gives grudgingly. Uh, And, you know, I'm not married, once again. I'm single. And that means that I I don't have children, but I do have carrots. (laughs) <laughs> um, I love Karis. I talk about Karis a lot. Even when I go to Seoul, I talk about Karis all the time to everyone. Um, and, you know, I'm not even her mom, but I just can't wait to spoil her and to give gifts to her when she's a little bit older, uh, when she can appreciate it more. And that's not the heart of God, by the way. It's just my heart. <laughs> I want her to know that I'm an amazing auntie, right? Um, but, you know, when you love your child, it's just natural that you want to give good things to them. And giving doesn't be, it's not a chore. It's just a natural overflow of the heart. And in fact, it blesses you to give. And it saddens you when your child does not understand that your heart is a heart of love. And the same way, uh, Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, to ask, seek, and knock because the father is a good father. He's a father who loves you, whose heart is blessed when his children ask from him. And, um, you know, for the longest time, it was difficult for me to kind of really feel the the goodness of God towards me, to really uh, trust, I guess, that he does desire to give me good gifts. Um, But one day God just kind of put this verse on my mind, and I've read this verse so many times, but uh, it's Romans chapter 8, 31 to 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him for us all, gave him gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? It's like God saying, you know, if I've given you the most precious thing to me, to you, then how, how can you not believe that I'm going to give you, you know, the things that are not as precious as a son of God? And it's about developing a deep and unwavering trust in the goodness of the Father And it's about not letting disappointments or unfulfilled promises, the weight that you're in, this journey that you're in, to move you from knowing that nothing is too wonderful for God. Uh, Finally, I just want to end with um, where God says, where where the Lord says to to Abraham and Sarah, at the appointed time, I will return to you. And about this time next year, uh, Sarah shall have a son. And so the final point is to wait for the appointed time. Inspiration requires that you wait. It's God's timing, not your own. Uh, Learning to live inspirational lives in the end means learning to move according to God's schedule and his timing rather than your own. Um, But rest and be at peace knowing that there is a time that has been appointed. Um, I think in the past when I was struggling with eating disorder, it took about uh, six, five, six years for me to really... uh, break free from that. And through those years, there were so many times when I felt like I had broken completely free, but there was always a lot of disappointment um, in, the, uh, in the journey towards my uh, freedom, complete freedom. And I remember one thing that this sister said to me stuck with me all throughout. It was the most encouraging thing that I ever heard um, in that journey. And it was, she just said, simply, the day of deliverance has been set for you, Lydia. Don't worry. And that was it. And I was like, wow, that's so true. There is that day that has been set. 
there is that appointed time when God will start to birth the promises that he's been speaking to you. And so it's, that, it's learning to be at rest through that journey. It's learning to be at peace, knowing that the time has been appointed. And every day as you walk in faith, you're drawing closer and closer to the day when you see his promises manifest. Okay, let's pray. Uh, I'm just going to close in prayer. Uh, Father God, I just thank you, Lord, that, God, you call us to live a life of faith, Lord. And, God, you, li- you call us, Lord God, to live not by sight but by faith. And, Father, I just pray, Lord, that each of us, as we are walking, Lord God, this journey with you, God, together with you, Father, I pray, Lord, that you will continually train our eyes, God, to see not by sight but by faith. And, God, if any of us right now, Lord, that... Um, if our hearts have been just discouraged, God, uh, through this time of waiting, through this period of waiting, God, in this in-between time, Father, right now I just pray, Lord, for a fresh outpouring of faith in our hearts, God, that you will start to stir up faith again, Lord. Father, where faith has just been trampled upon, God, or just been, um, just been delayed in many ways, or the promises that you've been, spe- that you've been spoke, uh, that has been spoken over us, God, has been delayed. God, I pray, Lord, that you will start to stir up fresh faith in our hearts, God. God, at the end of the journey, Lord, I pray, Lord, that, that we'll be able to say, God, that we've lived a life of faith. God, that it's not even about us achieving all the holy ambitions and the calling, God, that you placed upon our lives. But, Lord, is to be able to say that even through the journey, God, that we walked by faith, God, and not by sight. And so, Father, I just release that fresh grace and that fresh faith, God, into the hearts of your people here. I thank you, Lord, that you are the one who is taking us step by step. And, Father, we completely trust in your timing. We say, Lord, that we completely trust in you. We completely trust in your leadership. You are a good leader. And so we trust in your leadership, God. We choose to trust in you, God. Father, we thank you. In your name I pray, amen.